Hi, this is Robert Gowan. You're listening to the Mentors for Military podcast, and we've got Scott Kinder, Rudy Lindsay, Mike Pritz, and Kat Kaylin on, and we're going to be hitting the topic of life post-military. Every one of us who are veterans have had to deal with this situation, and those that are on active duty, well, you're trying to think about what life's going to be like when you get out, and so we're going to kind of hit on some of those things, and of course, the misconception about coming back, I, you know, I think for most people is that they think things are going to be normal once they come back. Home's going to be there. You know, all the friends are going to be there waiting on them. They're going to be able to jump right back into that lifestyle again. And I think the reality is going to hit them pretty heavy uh, when they get back home. Absolutely. It's not, uh, it's not what you think it is. Um, I, I, still, I still find myself missing uh, everything I'd become accustomed to uh, in, in 25 years of military service. So it's definitely not what uh, everything I expected. I can tell you that. I got to tell you, Rudy, I love it, man. I mean, I, I, I do. I, I do. I love I, it, too. I planned accordingly. I was able to set myself up to where I didn't have to rush right into to another line of work. And, and I, I think it's it's afforded me an opportunity to look at what I want to do next in life and, and take maybe a well-needed break because, you know, we all spend a lot of time downrange. And um, I, I just think that if you if you take the time and you you set yourself up accordingly to allow a, a little bit of time to, to reflect, to rest, and to plan, then um, well you're not forced into into taking a, a, a maybe a job that you really didn't want to do. Absolutely. I think Robert had a good point. We you know we use the word normal and post military you know post a massive paradigm shift and and you know transiting from one massive career to an utterly different career potentially like you sometimes just got to redefine normal but like like you rudy i miss it every day like i, I miss the team i miss the guys i miss the community but like rock so i'm conflicted because like you i miss it every day but like mike i thoroughly enjoy what i'm doing now and i thoroughly enjoy the challenges and the uniqueness of day-to-day activities oh yeah so what, what's normal you know what i mean what, what we we've become accustomed to what i did for 30 years is normal uh it was get up at you know, 4.30 or 5 o'clock in the morning, go in, do PT, uh, and then some type of training. And I'm working a lot of hours away from home uh, and, and a lot of great time away with the with the team, of course. But um, I, I think comparatively, what people think of as normal uh, in a private sector is much different than what you and I uh, kind oh, of absolutely. Kind of uh, think yeah. is normal. So. Well, not only that, but I think a lot of people end up going to the military, if they're going on the enlisted route at least, uh, they're coming right out of high school generally or a couple years of college, they're jumping right in the military. So what I meant by normal is they're thinking they're going to be able to come back, jump right into that family environment, jump into those friends. They think that they've all left them. And that they can, you know, I mean, life has gone on, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Your life has gone on. You've grown up. You've learned new things. You're a different person. Their lives have also gone on while you were gone away in combat, serving in, you know, the military. So when you come back in, you're just not going to jump back into that environment and think that it's high school all over again or, you know, that college environment. You just came back. Well, I think, I think a lot of guys and gals that when they get out of the military, most of them, you know, they decide that they're going to go back to their hometown and they realize that everyone else has moved on and all they have is their service. So when they get there, it's like you're a 19 year old trapped in a 30, 40 year old's body. So, um, and I think that's the thing that hits a lot of guys that's hard is, um, you know, they, they've come from being so proficient in the army and then coming back to the civilian side, it's just not, it doesn't settle well. So like what Mike said, it's so important to have like a plan of action before you get out because it makes the transition easier and it kind of gives you a peace of mind that, hey, I do have some time to figure out what I want to do instead of 
I need to go to the, the newspaper and find what job opportunities I have that are available for where I'm at. Um, Kat, you hit the nail on the head. I feel like a 19-year-old and a 35-year-old body every day. It's awesome. I think Beck would say I'm probably a four-year-old and a 50-year-old body. So to me, that's pretty awesome. You know, but you have to start preparing to enter into the workforce. And I think that even though we've talked about the transition assistance program, there's new things that they now have to learn coming back to the private sector that they aren't accustomed to. It's a new environment. And having to adapt and adjust to that is sometimes challenging. It's difficult. Not to mention the people they're coming back to may not understand what they did. Again, I mean, you know, you say things like having to find the job. I mean, you know, it, it kind of cracks me up sometimes because, and, and no offense to everybody, but, you know, when you retire, everybody says, well, I'm retiring, but I'm looking for a new career. It's like you're retiring. You did 20 years in the military, you know, so you don't, like Mike, Mike's taking as much time as he needs and doing some stuff and choosing what he wants to do and, and you know, just picking the right activities and stuff. But, you know, I think w- going back to that that awesome planning phase, if you do that, then you can do what you want to do instead of being forced to do something and then forced to find that job that potentially you're just doing because of necessity and not a not a love or requirement. But what about what about those who aren't educated? say and get out before you know 20 years and don't get their retirement they're like i'm gonna do my four and then when they get out they don't have the necessary resources to market themselves because they didn't have a solid platform for getting out so i mean as a retiree i can see some comfort in that but like myself i did 10 years and just that's it and i I never i never served as an army recruiter but i always saw my nieces and nephews and everybody else on american soil they'll listen i'm like i know this country's been at war Find a job. I don't care what Pogue type job or, or office type job or desk type job or whatever type job you want. Hopefully you can maybe get like a secret clearance or something out of it. Sign up for the GI Bill, bank some money, go to college at 21 years old instead of 17 or 18 with college paid for. You know, there's, there's all types of stats out there that are just absolutely terrifying. And I don't want to get on the rabbit hole, but, you know, the average college graduate today comes out of school with $30,000 plus in loans and debt making $25,000, a year. And, you know, you're never going to pay that stuff back. So I think that if you're if you're wise, you don't have to be a retiree. You can still be that three to four year pump guy that comes well, in and gets out or gal. That's the thing, though, because like I, I I've worked in recruiting and they that's how they sell it to you. Like, oh, serve your country for so so and so initiative. We're going to give you this bonus, this job. Then you can go get your degree right when you get out, serve four years, whatever. But the problem is the last 14, 15 years, the effects of the war of these guys deploying so rapidly and then coming back and like with the reserves, you do a 12-month deployment, come back, and then your unit just releases you. And then all of a sudden, everything starts to settle and you're getting back in real life and all of the demons start to come out. And for me, for instance, when I got back, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go to school. I'm going to do this. The next thing you know, like, I can't get in control of my life. I'm probably going to end up homeless if it wasn't for my family. Actually going to school, I dropped out of college three times just because I couldn't handle it. So as part of even leaving the military, you really have to wrap your head around like, where is it? Is this the best time? Am I able to do this? And if I'm not, then I need to prepare myself you know, financially with the uh, VA resources in that aspect so that you don't go out of it a sitting duck because you can't handle it. So I think I think you hit on something that we haven't touched on, Kat, in any of our podcasts. And that's, um, you know, I, I, I kind of tell everybody that that's getting out, man, you, you should take advantage of your GI Bill. Uh, go to college if you haven't finished your, your bachelor's. If you have, go get a master's. Uh, that GI Bill is going to pay about $1,600 a month. It's going to offset how much you need to make 
just to sustain yourself. If you're not retired, it's, it's a good chunk of change just to get you over the hump. But a lot of vets get out and are not compatible with the student environment in many universities and campuses today. So I, I think you're touching on something that that's well, with a GI Bill, with online schooling, you know, that's you have to be extremely committed and disciplined. And a lot of us, we're like squirrel. We need to go do stuff all the time. So you like, have you to, can't just you have sit to be here. like a soldier, right? Is that? Well, you no, gotta, no, gotta, it's not even like that. Manage yourself. Mike, yeah, manage, like, Mike said the magic word. It's management. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, going back to going back to what uh, what he said earlier, you know, it, there's pros and cons to, to life after the military, and I for one love it. I love every minute of it. And what I've figured out, and, and this works for me, it might not work for everyone, but what I've figured out is, yeah, we're up at 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning, and, and we're go, 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 man, most of the day. And uh, and I, I've found that that hasn't changed with me. I get a lot of stuff done compared to my civilian peers. You know, they're not up. They get up at 8, 9 o'clock because they have to. I've gotten more things accomplished before they even wake up in the morning. And I, I don't set an alarm. Rudy, no. I don't set an alarm, and I yeah. wake up between, between 4 and 5.30 every day. And when I wake up, I look at my watch, I see that it's between 4 and 5.30. The coffee's been made downstairs on a timer. I get up, I walk downstairs, and my day starts. Nothing has changed. I drink some coffee. I do PT. I read. I start whatever. I mean, the activities after that kind of change. What I'm yeah. doing instead of going to work or going to the range is, is something that I choose to do. But you're right. I, I get more accomplished. I mean, the old cliche, you know, we get more accomplished before 9 o'clock in the morning yep. than, than most people do all day. I, it's still It still applies to me. Yeah, yeah, but but pros and cons, man, and I and I love every minute of it. And and a challenge, and I wouldn't say a con, but a a, a significant challenge for me was because of our op tempo and being gone so much. You know, uh, my wife Kara ran the house, and she ran the kids, and, and was the disciplinarian, was was the the mentor, everything for the children. You know, I'm gone, depending on how long the trip was, anywhere between what three and eight months or whatever. But we get back. And I, I learned the hard way numerous times. I didn't actually learn it the first time, but making those mistakes, man, coming back, you can't jump right back into things. Fast forward to after I got out, it's taken a long time, longer than I expected for me to actually reintegrate and get used to being home every day, you know, except for my work trips, which are nowhere near the op tempo what I was running before. Well, and you're on your family schedule now. You're not yeah. on your own, which... That's something that I learned having three little girls that schedule is going to run from either seven in the morning or five in the morning till midnight and then three, and, you know, it's all over the place. And it's, you look back and you, you're like, man, I had it made where I can yeah, yeah. not have to have all these influences. In the blog post all that I you wrote. after was myself, right? Yeah. yeah, in the blog post that you wrote, Mike, you hit on structure as a big piece. And you just talked about that a moment ago about how you had a structured style within the military. you just basically transition that to the private sector now of what you're doing so that you keep that same flow going. I think that that's a big key, but a lot of the, you have to understand, or they have to understand when they're separating off of active duty, that their counterparts are the people that they've left behind, their friends, their loved ones, their work environment that they're going into is not always going to be a, a structured environment like that that they left. And so they're going to have to learn to transition into that structured or non-structured environment since they're so accustomed to it. Well, I was having a conversation yesterday talking about structure and stuff, and, and um, 
a guy from Task and Purpose was asking me some interview questions, and and I was talking to him. He said, "What do you think is one of the biggest problems that people are facing, like post military and coming out?" And I said, "You know, in the civilian workforce." And I said, "Well, to me, I don't." Maybe I sound like a simpleton when I say this out loud, but I don't understand the word manager, right? Like I just, you know, like I got it that we need to manage operations, we need to manage businesses, we need to manage our finances, but you lead people to me, like you don't manage people, you know? So I said a lot of a lot of military people in this combat environment, this last 16 years that we've been at war as a, as a country, you know, we've been at war longer than ever before in our history. And we have a entirely new generation of veteran coming out, no matter what their length of time, no matter if they're a combat veteran, or not, but it's an entirely different mental state than when they went in and they're being put in these situations. They have insecurities about their abilities to adapt to a civilian workforce. The civilian workforce has insecurities and concerns about the veteran's ability to fit in, you know, round peg, around hole in the organization. So that structure has to be identified on the fly oftentimes. And that's a very painful process, which takes patience, patience, understanding and communication, right? And it's something that a lot of times you can't just knife hand that person to them this is how you should do it or they can't just tell you how they want to do it there's got to be a, a mind mesh if you will so i think structure is a huge one and and i think a lot of times post-military separate or retire a lot of people just crave that structure that they had in the military because it's not a it's not a bad lifestyle right but that's where i was going at with the routine right the routine that i established for myself the routine that anybody could establish for what they want to get out of their own personal time, right, before you go to work, I think is something that can be very familiar. Uh, it may not be the same structure at work that what you had in the military, right? You're going to have to adapt to that. And we had a whole podcast about adaptability. But I, I think that, you know, as far as, you know, just let yourself go um, because you don't have to get up anymore and you don't have to do any type of physical exercise anymore and you don't have to do any professional reading um, or personal reading. I, I think that, that those times, like, like people who meditate, like people who spend, you know, time in prayer. I, I think to me, those times are precious, man. And and I, I that kind of keeps sanity, you know, where it needs to be. It's 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 early in the morning. It's still dark outside. I'm the only one up in the house, uh, and it, and it it allows me to set the tone for my day. And I can change, granted, what the tone for my day is. But you know, I agree with you. I love it. I, I crave it, right? If I if there is a day, you know, too late the night before or whatever, and I sleep in and lose even a I half it. an hour of that time, it I drives it. me insane, ruins, ruins my entire my morning. Day. Exactly, and I just I I refuse to touch my phone for almost the first hour that I'm awake in the morning because if I do, those emails, those tweets, the Facebook posts, the LinkedIn updates, everything's going to come crashing, and my my morning is just going to go to hell. So those mornings are my time to do what I want to do and get done. And, and most importantly, to use that routine to set myself up for the success of the day that I need. You know, I've noticed, Scott, just over the past week, because I don't have a current book on my Kindle that I'm reading. I, I do that. I grab my phone instead of my Kindle. And, uh, and I'm sitting there with my coffee and a fireplace on in the morning. And, and I'll, I'll open the phone up initially. And I, I check some stuff from school first. Uh, and then it hits Twitter. And I see, you know, Robert's already up and there's people on the East Coast already up and stuff starting to come around. I'm like, oh, next thing I know, man, an hour has gone by. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's, it's an hour of complete wasted time that I, I haven't done, you know, what I, what I normally set myself up to do in the morning. And it's, it, it's another way it kind of just it's counterproductive, I should say. That's why I got rid of my iPad because it was too much of a distraction, you know. I mean, I'm not a gaming guy at all, but I was finding myself trying to beat cut the rope and angry birds and whatever, right? Instead of doing anything. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, but going back to that pace, you know, it's adjusting your lifestyle too to the private sector because there's a different pace than the private sector than there is within the military. You know, in the military, you're used to going until you accomplish the mission. You're going to go, go, go. You, the objective is made. If that means staying up to 9, 10, midnight, 2 o'clock in the morning, whatever, you, that's a mission. It's mission focus. Private sector, it's not that way. Private sector, it's you've got a time limit, a time set. It can be put off to tomorrow, primarily because it's not a life or death situation. Then again, you have the panic-stricken side of it where at times, you know, the private sector believes that what they're doing is a life or death situation when in fact it's not. And those of us who've been in the military are very familiar that we don't need to get all wrapped around the axe angle handle and that you've got to understand that it's not a life or death situation and it can wait to tomorrow. So I think that's it's right. balancing both. Sell in both areas, I think, in, in the workforce. I'd, I'd much rather work with a veteran uh, just because he can handle that pressure. And, and if and it, he'll work and not put it off till tomorrow, he will get it done today. And on the flip side of that, if, if there's a, an extreme amount of pressure or an emergency situation where it absolutely has to get done, I'm, I'm turning to a veteran, you know, because I know I can generally rely on that dude. Hey, he's going to make but, it happen. Agree with you. But I'm going to go back to, you know, my point on the insecurity, you know, on both sides of the coin. Right. And and I'm going to think back to the hundred conversations that we've had on the show with Susan and the conversations that she's having at work. Right. Like people on the production floor that are, quote unquote, scared to talk to her because she was a Marine or she's a veteran. Right. And have never had a single conversation with her. Um, so. So, yes, that work ethic is alive and well on both sides of, of the coin, the civilian side and, and the people who've never served and on the military side. But. Far too often what happens is insecurities come at play and, you know, you have a, a quote-unquote manager that's not good at his job and a veteran in that department. The manager's trying to slow the veteran down because he thinks the veteran's skewing the bell curve of productivity or exactly. what the, the other performance place. ratings and whatever else, right? So because we have this culture of just ineptness, you know, about, you know, we don't have leaders in the right leadership positions in, in corporate America and corporate Australia, that's where a lot of the problems begin. And so sometimes that that I'm going to keep walking. I'm going to stay at my desk until midnight if I have to, to get this out on time because that was my quote unquote order. And that's what I was told to do. But that skews the entire department, right? Like they have other concerns, right? They're going to start talking, well, we're not paying you overtime. I don't care about overtime. Well, you're making the others look bad. I don't care about that. This is yeah. on me, right? But you're doing this. I don't care about that. I don't care about that, right? And what you're doing is of the herd of employees, you're separating yourself and you're coming over here and you've got a whole other bunch of people. And that's where the drama starts, right? Like, he's weird he, he or she is different they're not the same you know and so sometimes you got to just i don't want to say tone it down but you got to learn to play well with others and to hit those don't, organizational i mean objectives. we're we all been enlisted guys here so haven't we done that our whole career haven't we always worked not always but uh, somewhere in your career you've worked with somebody um who who may be a little insecure about your competencies who may you know think that you're you're trying to push too hard and you've got to figure out how to work around that I mean, those, that's where our, as soft guys, interpersonal skills come into play, and, and we try to massage those, those challenging areas to, to make them less challenging, right? Well, as I was thinking, or as you guys were talking, I was thinking a lot of times in the military, we are so on a, a high-speed pace, you know, and in the civilian side, they are too, but to a different degree. So we have to be accountable for ourselves in the military, you know, like, this is how I am. But when we go to the civilian side, you know, this is how their, I guess, surroundings are. And we have to adapt to that and be accountable for how we are put into that position. And I think, too, since, uh, you know, they're 
life nowadays, you know, like you're saying with Twitter and you get on online and you're, everything is just so fast paced. I think that's part of the issue too, that we don't want to take the time to actually understand each other's cultures. So you kind of go into what the stereotype is where veterans are crazy and civilians don't manage their time well. Oral Roberts said before is that a hiring manager will try to put you into a specific box that fits the veterans' capabilities or what they think are the capabilities. You hit something on the head, Kat, it's culture, man. You know, I mean, we come from a specific kind of culture and, and every unit, regiment, branch, whatever in the in the military has a different culture. Um, and, and the culture outside is, is a lot different than what we're used to. So I think that, I mean, there's some learning there, but we're gonna have to assimilate. That's what we expect people who do to come to the United States from outside cultures to assimilate to our American culture. You've got to be able to do that in the corporate culture as well. Well, it might be a competitive uh, environment rather than a collaborative environment. But it works both ways as well, right? Like, again, my biotech client company is trying to breach DOD sales in the soft community, right? Because they have a device that's going to help deploy soft guys. Not getting into that. But when I'm doing business development calls and sales calls and I'm trying to update the executive team on, well, I tried to call... USASOC, MARSOC, NAVSPEC war or whatever, but they're on a three-day weekend. From the civilians that I'm dealing with, they're like, how many three-day weekends do these guys get? You know, so so we have this whole, you know, and on my team especially, we had this whole mantra of if you ain't got anything to do, don't do it here, right? Like, go home. So we know that when there's work to do, we do it and we do it to standard. But when there's not work to do, we're going on and having some me time, right? Some personal time. So that me time and personal time doesn't exist. So I think that even in a laid back team room soft environment when you're not deployed, but you're just doing stuff, that's what we kind of mentally equate a transitioning SF guy potentially equates that new corporate environment and workforce to, but they don't have the same work-life balance. They, the manager and the leader is definitely not going to tell you, well, you don't have anything to do. Just go on home and take the day off, man. Like they're going to say, you want time off? Like take your paid time off, take a vacation day, take a sick day. You know, you owe me this and this. And so there's a whole bunch of, like Mike said, assimilation that has to occur. And you've got to just check your pride at the door and, and do it. But, you know. I think that's just mainly from what I've seen in the soft community, because when you get to the conventional side or reserves or guard, they try to pack as much in as they can from zero four till like nine o'clock at night my and, kind of people yeah <laughs> and it, and the, i think that's where you know the morale goes down because their time isn't managed wisely i mean robert you conventional side i don't know with you being so senior enlisted if like i'm sure you cut out early but a lot of times you see the lower enlisted or your squad leaders team leaders that like they're sitting around doing jack all the way until nine o'clock at night yeah, I think that's got to go back to effective leadership all the way through. I, You know, when I made the transition and came out into the private sector, I think I found the challenge of trying to readjust or I thought I could handle it. I, I think some people thought that I was better prepared than others, like maybe, you know, some of those that were closer to never having the opportunity to interface with the private sector as I was in my last few years. I was very fortunate being put into a role where that happened and occurred with DOD contractors where I was able to interface a lot more and learn a lot about that transitional piece of it. But when I came in, I thought I had a handle on it. And what I really found is that I struggled just as much as anybody else. I think I I adapted quickly because I, I learned to, in some cases, kind of keep my mouth shut, watch, observe, 
and find my space within there. But there were times where I started reverting back quickly. And to Scott's point earlier, you, you begin to think that you've got to tone it down in some cases and make sure that you're building relationships because out there, as I mentioned, it's a little bit more of a competitive environment than it is a collaborative environment. And so you might run into more of a combat of situation instead of a collaborative in, uh, engagement when you're trying to make those types of relationships. I think it's like that, too, because you can be easily fired in the civilian side. We're like, hey, peace out. Yeah. Whereas in the military. Employment at will. That's what yeah, it's called. They yeah. don't want to go through all the paperwork of having to, you know, kick you out. There has to be a reason or what have you. So that's where that management see. comes in, though. The management of your interpersonal skills and how you, you manage your workloads and interface with other people. Um, you know, once you master that. You know, but are we, but in the military, are they taught that? I mean, are we taught that? No. I, I, I think have not dissatisfaction. I, I think you are, but you have to recognize it, and you have to be able to to uh, translate that into the civilian lexicon or the civilian workplace. I think I've just seen it more being on the conventional side, and well, looking at it on soft. Yeah, they definitely are more accountable, and they they look at it as the team. If one person isn't succeeding, then the team isn't succeeding. Whereas conventionally, I've seen. If one person is succeeding, then we're just going to like bash on them constantly. So I've seen it on both sides where I think a lot of that also, like you said, the leadership is vital and most of the time it's extremely toxic. So that's why you have such, you know, I think a lot of issues on. Well, dissatisfaction is dissatisfaction. And to me, it doesn't matter if it's the employee veteran or not that's dissatisfied or if it's the command, civilian or military, and, and the leadership that's dissatisfied. If you have a dissatisfied element within the ranks, then that's where the drama and the everything just comes into play, right? So that's why my framework is select, educate, and empower, because if we don't educate we don't empower strengths that people have and identify those strengths correctly. And if we don't educate their weaknesses through the identification of weaknesses, now, now think of what I'm saying, right? I'm saying you have to know your staff and your people and you have to find out what they're good at and empower that, find out what they're bad at and educate them to overcome those weaknesses. And not everybody's going to be good at something, but that takes time and patience and energy, right? And it takes that checking of the pride at the door so that you don't have that mental wall up that says, I don't have any weaknesses. I'm perfect. It's all you guys. You know, we used to say on my ODA, if you keep looking around and you think everyone else is souped up, maybe you're the person that's souped up, right? Like maybe you should turn back and, and think like maybe I need help because not everybody else in the world is a soup sandwich. Maybe it's Scott. Maybe Scott's a soup sandwich. And most of the time that was the case. <laughs> well, if you're if you're listening to this podcast and you're on active duty and you're thinking life's going to be greener after you get out and the bad managers or bad leaders that you had within the military are going to be behind you, let me tell you, you're going to find those same leaders and same managers out here in the private sector with a different title, with a different last name or, you know, whatever. It's going to be exactly the same. They exist everywhere. Bad leadership is bad leadership. It doesn't matter where you're at. And so I think, again, it goes back to whether you're conventional, whether you're soft or SF, I think it goes into play of who are you as a leader? What are you trying to embrace? But I think you got to understand, too, that there's going to be challenges as you make that transition and you get out here 
that um, you're going to have to surround yourself with the right people. You're going to have to understand and adapt and overcome with the challenges that you're facing and trying to build into this new environment, much like you did when you joined the new unit. If you left one unit and went to another one, you had to learn all the culture, the nuances and everything else of the staff that you were working with, know your place and the whole bit and how that organization functioned as a team. That part of it's really no different other than understanding there's not... Teamwork out there is defined a little different than what it is on active duty. Uh, that That's a key piece. But bad leaders are bad leaders. Good leaders are good leaders. But there's, there's things that so, – so to change the topic slightly, right, life post-military, there are things that you can do. Mike has routines and, and hobbies and stuff that he likes to do. Rudy does. I do. You know, Rudy's fishing rods. Everybody on this call has things that they have to do. I do my ruck projects, so that keeps me sane, right? Like I get out there. I sweat a little bit. I have some personal time to, you know, listen to an audio book or to think about the day and to plan things out and, and to, you know, mentally do something that I value and try and, you know, honor the KIA and GWAT or whatever but everybody needs these things that they can do to maintain that personal sanity because when you get out and all of a sudden you're at home and you're waiting for a job offer and you're surrounded by the kids and you're not used to it and you're trying to go to the grocery store and you're not used to it and you're trying to help cook dinner and you're not used to it because you've been gone for 25 years that's when all those frustrations start and the cracks in the foundation of your marriage and the foundation of your personal life and everything else so having those routines and that structure like Mike says having that knowledge of who you are and what you want to do finding those hobbies that's insanely important you have to have that stuff to keep that's you sane awesome. and grounded yep let me how far did you ruck last time scott on your last uh, ruck 10 case uh okay how, how heavy was the load you're carrying uh 15 kilograms so 30 ish pounds 35 yeah so think back think back to your days uh you know doing a 25k or 50k or you know 25 mile or whatever and you're carrying yep. a 50 60 75 pound ruck that's what i equate to life post-military you get to the end of that get to the end of that ruck march and you take your ruck off for the first time it's like oh man that load has been lifted off your back and it's 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 not a it's not a colorado rocky mountain but i live right next to a mountain here and you know i took a couple weekends ago i took my eight-year-old my 12-year-old and my wife i carried a ruck and it was probably like 30 kilo you know because i had all the food and the the raincoats a first aid kit and all that stuff right because every snake here is poisonous and so is every spider i think but anyway so i was talking with my eight-year-old's teacher yesterday i went to his school and he does ultra marathons and trail running and stuff and i'd seen him on the trail before but this was a a, almost a 1500 meter like straight vertical ascent up to the peak of this mountain on a rocky trail right and my eight-year-old and my my 12-year-old were loving it and they're so well behaved so I was kind of laughing at him and I said I, I don't understand how if I ask them to vacuum the kitchen floor they whine and complain for 30 minutes but I can tell them we're going to take a five-hour ruck up a mountain and they're happy as anything so I said but that's what I want my kids to grow up knowing that they can do anything that they want to do and they can do this stuff not by default because I got too many parents and too many friends that have this oh we can't do that by default attitude you know and and he was saying and he's a he's a really good guy and a really good teacher he was saying yesterday that that's almost the biggest problem that he sees is a so I'll I'll apply this back to life post-military, right? But he sees parents who consistently and always tell their kids their first-line thought is, 
we can't do that. You can't do that. Yeah, you can't yeah, do yeah, this. Yeah. You know, we got this. So now you have these. That's not even in our vocabulary in this house. No, exactly. I don't. It's it's so anathema to me. I don't understand that that process at all. So not only life post military, am I retaining those? You know, I, I jokingly said to the guy yesterday in the interview at Task and Purpose, it was, it was about the SF truth, and I said, he goes, well, how do you apply them to your life? And I said. How do I not apply them to my life? You know, they humans are more important than hardware. Quality is more important. You know, quality is better than quantity. I, I apply that daily, right? So I stay true to who I am, and I know that that's my true north all the time, and that permeates everything about my business, everything about my kids, my family life, and everything. And that's not a bad true north to have. So post military, I didn't forego the lessons that I learned. I retained those lessons and tried to hold on to them and learn to apply them transitionally to, to new environments, whether it's work or personal. I think that's where I struggle when I mentioned earlier, and I think you just nailed it in a great way of presenting it because many times when you leave, you're thinking you need to forget what you were or where you came from. Yeah, and it's exactly wrong. I mean, what you've got to do is embrace what you are, who you become, what person you are. And that's why I said the new normal or the normal, you can't go back to what it was before because everybody left as well from that same point and progressed forward just like you did. And so you've got to remember the things that you've done and re- retain that and use that as you move on to the private sector. It's so critical. And I think by doing that, that's probably the reason why you're able to, to kind of move forward so quickly as well. So, so what you're saying, I think, is, you, man, you don't quit. You don't get out of the military no. and, just, yeah. and just stop, you know. And I think that to bring up something that you said earlier, you know, you said that there's new things to learn, Robert, but there's also things that you never forget. You, know, you, you don't you don't forget the the discipline that you've you've lived underneath for years. You don't forget how well uh, you can take a complex problem and, and tear it apart with some detailed planning. You don't forget how dependable you've become to people over several years. Uh, I think that a lot of those things that have set you apart in the military, and you know we've talked about this before. It's one of the problems I had with TAP is that they they try to tell you to forget what you've done in the military, ah, yeah, but yeah. that's what's made us so successful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you just continue that, you continue to learn, you apply it to a new culture, you assimilate into what you the, the culture you're trying to, to find employment in, um, and then you fall back on on the things that have made you the strongest over the years. So chances are, Mike, you're you're gonna shine in that. Environment. Yeah, you're gonna be successful. Yep. You're gonna. I mean, you you may stumble, right? You. you and like you said, like, I think it's like you said, it's so important to embrace those things. And I really think instead of, you know, having the men- mentality that when you get out that you're by yourself, like opening up to your family that this is what's going to help me be successful. And I and I want, you know, communication is so key where everyone's on the same page so that you can have like your rock time in the morning without your wife getting upset that you're gone all the time or, you She's know, happy that this I'm gone. is. <laughs> Well, that or other goals that you have and like making your family involved it just like empowers you more to to embrace the things that you've learned in the military and for a long time i think you know when i left the military you know there was i've said it before right i, I had a, a bunch of kind of regret and concerns and i felt like a quitter and i felt like you know whatever but so it took me a little bit mentally to overcome that so when i when i'm telling other veterans to check your pride and and, and look and identify your true north and do this stuff start that process out as robert says you know with your runway 
a long time out, right? Like don't find yourself in these reactive situations. And one of the things I don't think I can't recall a single day in the last five years to where I haven't said the phrase proactive, not reactive, like especially on the entrepreneurial side and especially on the business side, right? If, if you just understand that be proactive and try and tackle these problems versus being reactive and reacting to life as it continuously tries to slap you in the face, you're going to be okay. You're going to keep doing the same thing. But these are all lessons that we learned. We just have to apply them. So I think these are really critical points, and I th- a lot of people need to understand that when they come back, life continues on of what they experienced within the military, but learn to adapt and apply it to the private sector of what you're going through now. So um, in terms of some of the things that we talked about, we talked about embracing what you've become, kind of keeping the structure you know that you've had while you were in there, whether that was PT, reading, learning, those types of things knowing true north or what your true north is uh, and making sure that you keep that in your daily lifestyle and then be you know proactive with the challenges that you're currently facing and uh, knowing that you're going to get through those things because you've dealt with difficult challenges while you were on active duty. So I think to me those are some of the key points if you wanted to take away of what to do post-military and certainly, you know, by maintaining this structure, it's just going to be a smoother transition for you as you get out there. And you're going to be able to shine, as, as Rudy put it, in the private sector and be able to achieve a lot more. That's really for life post-military. For Rudy, for Mike, for Scott, for Cap, I'm Robert Gowan. And uh, be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or SoundCloud. Appreciate everybody listening.